Welcome to St. Louis in Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis in Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker. Back in 1916, on Locust Street between 12th Street, which is now Tucker Boulevard, and 24th Street, which is now Jefferson Avenue, was what we call a walkless, talkless parade, the Golden Lane. On the line with us, we have Margot McMillan, who's an author of the book, The Golden Lane, and she's going to talk to us about what she found out and what we can discover about St. Louis and Missouri suffrage and the Democratic National Convention that took place in 1916. Margot, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Thank you, Arnold. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you've written several other books about Missouri, so this isn't anything new about this particular book, The Golden Lane, correct? Right. Well, I started um, writing about Missouri women, gosh, years ago, and it's such a fascinating subject. It's from the very beginning, the Native Americans through the pioneer women, the French, you know, it's just got it all. So I, I never look back. I just keep on looking at Missouri women. So did a Missouri woman kind of lead you into this story of, of the Golden Lane and uh, suffrage that was going on? That's a great question. I was editing a children's magazine called Our Missouri, and this was, I guess, about 1988. And I was at the State Historical Society. I live not too far from Columbia, about 30 miles from Columbia. And there was an archivist there named um, Faye Sotham and a woman, and she knew every photograph that the, that the State Historical Society owned, which was, you know, file cabinets full of photographs. And I was kind of complaining to her that I wanted something new about women. I had Beth Truman and I had, oh, you know, Helen Stevens. I had all of the women that you would kind of expect and she just went to her file cabinet and got this this folder out and just kind of tossed this photograph in front of me. And it was a photograph of the Golden Lane. And it's the photograph that's on the cover of my book. And it's sort of been reproduced a lot because here's this line of women with long white dresses standing shoulder to shoulder or skirt to skirt as it was because their skirts were pretty wide then holding these golden parasols, and they have sashes on that say votes for women. And it's just, it's really breathtaking to see this this line of, of women. And I had never seen anything like it, and I had been working in Missouri history for probably a decade at that time, never heard anything about it, and um, I just looked at Faye, I was just kind of stunned and said, what, what is it? And she said, well, it's the Golden Lane. I started looking into it. They have, of course, a whole huge collection of newspapers and lots of primary information and diaries and things, and um, found that this this was indeed a, a huge demonstration. A couple thousand women, but they estimated around 3,000 women showed up at the Democratic Convention, uh, June 14, 1916. I just thought it was stunning. I, I thought, why is this not in every history book in the land? Not just Missouri history, but every history book. This this silent demonstration that had such an impact on the delegates to the Democratic Convention uh, 
I just think it's breathtaking. So it was the Democratic convention for uh, Woodrow Wilson's second term. I guess the, the question I have is, how did this all organize? I, I know there was a Equal Suffrage League in St. Louis at the time, and there were some national groups. Did they kind of coordinate and say, hey, this is, this is a good idea for us to do this? Or did you find anything about the formulation of this whole Golden Lane and, and the, the uh, walkless, talkless parade? Right. You know, women had been working for the vote since before the Civil War. So this is 1916. That's, um, what, uh, five decades, um, six decades before when when some of the first suffrage speakers came into St. Louis. And they had quite a bit of organizing under their belts by this time. After the Civil War, there was uh, a pretty good movement um, you probably know about Virginia Minor, yes. who was a woman who basically sued the uh, comptroller of St. Louis, saying, I should have the right to vote. And that case went, of course, all the way to the Supreme Court. Women were very aware, St. Louis women, of the uh, importance of the vote and of the struggle that had gone on before them. Now, in addition to that, this was kind of a golden age of women's clubs. So there were just lots of women's clubs operating, and they all started sort of as art and poetry appreciation clubs. You know, you have to think about education. Women had become more educated. They, A lot of them had gone to college. There were colleges for women that had been started right after the Civil War and in that period. And so um, there were a, a lot of women moving, you know, into uh, wifehood with time on their hands and with interest in sort of continuing to develop. So it was a pretty easy move from talking about poets and, and arts and all of those kinds of things, schools, education, into talking about suffrage. It was kind of, it was there, it was something that was in the media a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, and it was something that women thought about. So once the conventions were coming, there was a, a, a Republican convention in Chicago a week before the Democratic convention in St. Louis. The women were really hitting their stride, and they had learned how to work the media. The media loved them. They were having fun. I, I felt like that was a really important part of social movements is when it moves from the sort of grim everyday, the slogging through trying to get attention and trying to figure out how to do the asks and, and what kind of language you could use and who you could talk to and who you couldn't talk to. And, and there's this sort of moment when the, when the social movement moves from that grinding, slogging pace into something where they start to have a good time with it. And the media started saying, you know, this is kind of ridiculous that women aren't voting. And the, so the media started having fun with it, too. Was so the, then it kind of gets a little bit easier. And, and that's the point where they were in 1960. Yeah, I, I guess I was going to ask, at, at what point did the media really kind of get on board? I, I know there were 
you know, one of the groups was really pushing national kinds of uh, legislation or action with the Constitution, and others were trying to do that through the states. And because many states had given women the right to vote, especially in the West, but uh, not necessarily in the Northeast or or in the South. What was the impetus? Do you think? when the media really got involved and really kind of got them fired up about this? Yeah, that's really, that's a great question. I, I don't know that I could put an absolute date on it, but I, one of my um, real interests also is Mark Twain mm-hmm. and the women in his life. He came out, and he was not the only one, but there was sort of a trend of people who wrote about Joan of Arc and this happened right at the turn of the century, 1900-ish. I think his book was in about 1908, 1910. I kind of see this new woman emerging in, at the turn of the century, the turn of the from the 1800s to the 1900s, and just lots of changes happening and lots of questioning coming from the women and coming from the media and and the media just deciding that um, this was something worth covering and something worth talking about. Now, what discoveries surprised you as you were researching this book? You know, there's, there's always something that's, you know, is, is kind of like an aha or a, uh, wow, I, I didn't know that. Because you mentioned initially about the, the photograph, and then it really mm-hmm. spurred an interest. But I know when, when authors and historians start to uncover things, they really uncover a whole trove of valuable things that it's, it's difficult to put them all in a book. But what, are there a, a several things that uh, you were like, wow, man, that was, that's crazy. I never knew anything about that. Yes, every chapter is about, you know, is something that I had no idea about. I'm not from St. Louis, so there's a lot of St. Louis history I'm a little bit clueless on. And one of the things I didn't understand very well was the St. Louis World's Fair. And, of course, at the time, St. Louis was um, absolutely the center of the world, or uh, I, I, I'm going to call it the center of the world. St. Louis had, uh, it was a center for publishing, mm-hmm. because, of course, it's in the middle of the country. So if you are sending magazines out by mail, you can send them east and west, and, and they'll get there without too much delay. If you were in the east, as, as it moved later, um, well, you have to have a telegraph, and you have to have <laughs> lots of other infrastructure. But um, so it was, a, it was a center for publishing. It was a center for transportation. It was a center for manufacturing, innovation. And it was an obvious place for a World Fair to take place, and I, I just really hadn't understood that very well. But one of the neat things about the Louisiana Exposition was that they – they involved the women, or the women, I should say, the women involved themselves. The women kind of insisted with the managers that they uh, become, that there was a board of lady managers, and they had, they kind of, what should I say, sidled into into the management of the fair. So they had uh, lots of women's clubs, days for women's clubs. They had lots of presence in things like award ceremonies and dedications of buildings and all of the kinds of things that you probably know went along with the fair because you're a St. Louisan. The thing about the, you know, the, the World's Fair, the Louisiana Exposition, that we know our art museum ah, yes. wasn't the original art museum. 
the original art museum was on Locust mm -hmm. and was a important part of, of this Golden Lane. What, what was the significance of that building that the women suffragettes, uh, what they did on the, the stairs there? Right, okay. So they were suffragists. The suffragettes were people who embraced violence, and the suffragists were people who rejected violence. They were pacifists. Now, that's something new. I, I, I've never heard that before. Explain, ah. that, explain that again. Okay. Well, this is, has everything to do with St. Louis, too. In England, the, the work for suffrage had gotten very violent, and they were the original suffragettes, and they were doing things like bombing people's houses, wow. bombing the houses of, of um, men who, who controlled the government. Uh, they were very, very angry. A St. Louis group uh, called the Wednesday Club had invited one of these women, her name was Pankhurst, I think it was Emily Pankhurst, had invited her to come and talk in St. Louis. At, at this point, the, the violence really got out of control, and since the St. Louis group had a, a pretty significant pacifist uh, presence from the, the husbands, the profess they were professors at, at Wash U, there was a lot of controversy about having Mrs. Pankhurst come and talk to the St. Louis group. At that time, they they did reject her invitation. They, they re, uh, took away their, her invitation. But at the same time, they decided that they would be the suffragists, that they would not use the suffragette. So because they had rejected the violence, they also decided to use a different name for themselves. So they don't use the name suffragette anymore. They use a different suffix, which would be suffragist. That's that's a totally, I've never heard that in my life. That's a discovery for me. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, of course, you don't do this research, but many people haven't. And I have seen many exhibits where, and I've corrected some of them actually when I catch them early enough when somebody tells me they're doing an exhibit and sends me the information ahead I might catch it and say oh wait a minute suffragist it, you're right we sort of we sort of slip into the wrong usage just because we're not <laughs> we're not there at the turn of the 18th 19th century 19th and 20th century so the suffragists were the ones that were on the art museum steps Yes. Okay. Back to the art museum steps. Right. So every now and then, and, and this was pretty common in their parades and in their demonstrations, they would have sort of a diorama, kind of a, a silent tableau made of actual humans. The women would be standing and they would represent something, some kind of a moment in history or something. And so on the art history, uh, the art museum steps, they performed one of these tableaus as the mem as the men walked past. And you know what's kind of interesting to think about? And there's one picture in the book, and uh, it's my favorite picture of the Golden Lane, which is a picture from the men's point of view. And the men would come to these conventions, and they would come in a club. So like the Milwaukee Club would all come together, or the Cleveland Club would all come together. And these, these were the delegates to the convention. And then when they left the hotel, they, they kind of made themselves into a formation, and then they marched 
and they all had the same jackets and the same hats and probably the same shoes. The pictures that I've seen have only shown them from the from the waist up. As this picture that I say is my favorite, they are walking down Locust Street and they're right before getting to the museum. They haven't quite the art museum they haven't quite reached it yet but they're all sort of looking over in that direction and to the flank there are there is this line of women and and there's a little bit of a sense of interaction between the fellows who are marching and the women on the side and there's a little bit of you know kind of a I almost I want to call it a flirtation going on they're just kind of a you know they seem to be a little bit happy with each other and I guess this is another thing that that I see about the mood having changed from this really dreadful trying to get attention to getting to a point where they're enjoying themselves and having fun. And as as the guys are walking down Locust Street, the women are just standing there. They're, are they holding signs? Are they? You know, obviously they're not speaking because it's a it's a silent protest, maybe. Yeah, I would call it that, too. No, they didn't have signs. They had sashes that said votes votes for women. And this, I should mention, too, that this was not a secret. The, the men knew that the Golden Lane was being uh, developed because it had been for, for weeks. The women had been working to recruit folks to come. They had an office in St. Louis that... Uh, they had set up so that if somebody wanted to come from, you know, Denver or Columbus, Ohio or something, um, that they could find them housing. They could find them either a hotel room or they could stay with somebody that was in the one of the St. Louis folks, one of the St. Louis families. So this this was not a secret movement. It was something that, that the men expected to see when they walked out of the hotel, although the impact was certainly more than they probably ever imagined. Yeah, that was one of my questions was, were these all St. Louis women or were they women from around the country that had kind of congregated here because of the convention? And it, and it sounds like that, um, you know, with the Republican convention being in Chicago, many were, the, the week before, many were very close and they may have come down here. They did. That's absolutely what they did. And it's kind of interesting because I always thought this might have been an aha moment for me. When I thought about Victorian women, if I thought about them at all, I would think that they were uh, pretty pretty much homebodies. They pretty much stayed home and, and wouldn't have had any freedom to go anywhere. But actually, they did a lot of traveling. And they traveled in groups. They would go with their friends and, you know, everybody would go to Chicago and or Everybody would go to St. Louis. So that's exactly what they did. They met at the Chicago convention and probably had a great time running around and seeing things in Chicago and then came down by train to St. Louis and continued the the festivities. Now, as you investigated this, and and people who know the history know that that the 19th Amendment was, was ratified and adopted, so what was the impact of the Golden Lane on not only the Democratic Convention, but upon the nation? Well, it was covered coast to coast. And because it was a um, silent, they called it a walkless, talkless parade, it had a pretty astonishing impact. And one of my friends who studies 
nonviolent social movements and demonstrations, told me that he thinks this may have been the first of the nonviolent social demonstrations ever, anywhere, not just in the United States, but anywhere, which is kind of very impressive if you think about it, that that would have happened here in St. Louis. You mentioned when we were talking earlier, one in New York City, and of course there's been silent demonstrations as recently as just a few weeks ago. Somebody sent me a clipping from Louisville of uh, women linking linking arms in one of the protests to uh, demonstrate the Black Lives Matter protests. So it's something that had an astonishing impact and still is having an impact today. One thing that's that's kind of interesting to me is the the commercial aspect and St. Louis folks would recognize the name Sticks Bear and Fuller, I think. Yes. That was that was um one of the department stores that really climbed on board with the Golden Lane. And I think that they they kind of realized that women began were beginning to have some spending power and there was such a, a shift in the role of women just when the bicycle came along and they could get women could get around they could visit each other in the evenings and the afternoons when they when they had a free moment there was really a a really strong trend toward women becoming friends with each other and the commercial folks like Sticks Bear and Fuller kind of picked up on that and realized that women would like to shop together that and this is kind of a odd thing to say but that women kind of like to look alike when they bought clothes they kind of wanted to follow fashions and this was all sort of part of the same trend and I think it's interesting that that was one of the movements the waves that was going on at this same time and sort of influencing society influencing politics it's something that I don't think we maybe give a lot of consideration to even today. Maybe we are looking at how art and music play a factor and fashion play a factor in how uh, culture changes Mm -hmm. along the way. Uh, We do pay attention to some of those things, but I don't know that we necessarily give it the credence that uh, it, it deserves. Right. It's very interesting, the interplay between all of these various various factions of our lives. You know, and maybe even more so now just because of the Internet and because of information is just at your fingertips. And back then it wasn't. You had to wait for, you know, a, a, a wire or the train or the newspaper and to catch up on things, and it would take a little bit of time now. It's instantaneous, and you know mm-hmm. people can be really on board with things very, very quickly. Yeah. One of the questions that I hear a lot is people saying, well, how did they organize this demonstration without the Internet? <laughs> uh, which I guess is a, good, is a good question, but at the same time, they were in touch with each other. It was just, as you say, it just took a little longer. Yeah, writing letters. <laughs> right, they wrote letters. How interesting. <laughs> How antique. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Margot McMillan, thank you for taking time today to talk to us on St. Louis in Tune about your book, The Golden Lane, and that is available on Amazon. And it's it's a great read. It, it's a very interesting story, and we encourage people to uh, pick that up. Thank you, Arnold. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take time to like and share this and other episodes of St. Louis in Tune that can be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. Thank you for listening. I'm Arnold Stricker.